Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. For today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5, 20 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Thanks, Mallory. Appreciate you. Hey, good morning, guys. It's good to see you. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. It's been said, but I want to say it again. You guys are a gift and a blessing to us uh, in a world that loves to poke fun at men and make fun of them and talk about how uh, useless and pointless they are. Man, I just want to say I'm, I'm grateful to have a church full of guys that are really trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and use their strength to bless not to curse, to use their strength to protect, not to harm. So uh, thank you, dads. Thank you, men, for being the way that you are. I'm grateful for you. Uh, Hey, today's going to be fun. If you're a guest with us, you're like, this church likes to make us stand up all the time. Well, we're going to sit down for a minute, and we're going to talk about something that I think is really profound uh, as we work our way through this letter that Paul wrote to a church called Corinth. We are uh, week 31 in the series, working our way through. We're getting close to the end. Uh, of this letter. We'll wrap it up in August. And so we're kind of nearing the end. And we are in that section, chapters 12 through 14, where the Apostle Paul is addressing this idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the most clear texts on the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have in the New Testament. And uh, today we're going to talk about something that I think is really profound and really beneficial. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Sound good? All right. Father, thank you so much for the gift of being with the people of God, to hear truth sung to us, to be reminded of our story, to uh, just rehearse again what you've done to find us and to bring us home. And today I I pray specifically for uh, those in the room that feel like prodigal sons and daughters that have just been running in their heart or running in their imagination or running in their life, running in other ways from you. And I pray today that they would experience your pursuit and that you would draw them back. And specifically, we want to pray that we would hear the voice of our Father. Thank you that in Jesus, you have done 
everything, including literally leaving heaven and come to this earth to find us and to bring us home so that we could hear the voice of our Father again. We pray today that that would happen. So come and move and work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Several years ago, uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, was at a, uh, a conference in which he witnessed something that blew him away. And he told me the story, and I've never forgotten the story. I've shared it before, so maybe you've heard it, but it's worth repeating again. This conference that he was at was similar to uh, any other Christian conference. If you've ever been to a Christian conference, if you're kind of a nerd like me and that's a thing that you do, um, you, you, you go to these conferences and they're all basically the same. There's a time where you gather together. There's usually a time where you sing. Uh, there's usually a time where you do something like this. You sit down and you hear like a lecture or someone uh, give a sermon or something like that. And then there's breakouts. But in this particular conference, there was something unique about it because after their time of worship and after the time of teaching, they had trusted people, men and women, who were highly gifted in hearing the voice of God and being able to speak very specifically for people. And they had this moment carved out for uh, just basically offering up what is called prophetic words to anyone in the room that they felt like God might be speaking to. And so on this particular day, one of these men who is highly, highly gifted in the prophetic, he stood up and he pointed to a woman in the back of the room and he said, hey, ma'am, would you stand up for me? And she stood up and he said, um, I, ma'am, I, I think God wanted me to tell you that you're wearing a yellow shirt. And everybody, of course, in the room is looking back at this woman and guess what? She's wearing a yellow shirt. And you're sitting in this room, if you can just imagine the scenario, you're sitting in the room and you're like, that is the weirdest, that is so stupid. I, whoever invented this idea of the prophetic, like this is the most, this is why I don't like spiritual gifts, right? Everyone in the room is sort of like ready to roll their eyes and ready to do that awkward sigh. But what happened in this particular story, before they even had the chance to roll their eyes, this woman in the back of the room, she collapsed down to the ground and she starts weeping. She starts weeping. Now, why would she weep about that? Well, here's the backstory. The backstory is that, that, that woman had a young daughter who had been in the hospital with a severe illness. And this daughter had been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And the doctors started having conversations with her and her husband pretty recently saying, hey, you just need to prepare for the worst. We don't think that your daughter's gonna pull through. We don't think that she's gonna make it. And so this had been a long stretch of being in the hospital. If you've ever spent like more than two or three weeks in the hospital, especially if you're a parent with a kid in the hospital, it can just be overwhelming, exhausting. So the husband said to this woman, he said, hey, listen, you've been up at the hospital a lot. I want, there's this conference in town. It's not far away. It'll be good for you to go. Just go to the conference. I'll stay at the hospital. If anything happens, if anything changes, I will call you and you can, you're, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from the hospital. You'll be back in time if anything happens. So the woman does. She decides to go to this Christian conference. And that morning, while she was getting ready and getting dressed to go to the conference, she prayed one of those prayers that I don't know if you've ever prayed like this before. She prayed one of those prayers that you don't ever expect to get answered. God if my daughter's gonna be okay, would you have someone tell me today that I'm wearing a yellow shirt? And this man, for whatever reason, pointed to this woman and he said, ma'am, I feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you that you're wearing a yellow shirt. And the story is that she 
actually did have her daughter fully recover. The Lord ended up, you know, I think through the work of doctors and medicine, just reversing her entire prognosis. And that little girl is alive and well today. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because that is one story of dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that I have personally also witnessed where similar things like that happen. Today, what we're talking about is the spiritual gift of prophecy, where God speaks to us in profound ways. Now, let let me give you some context as we jump into unpacking chapter 14. If you were with us last week, you remember what's happening here. We're, We're in this place in the letter where Paul is addressing abuse and misuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You remember what had happened in Corinth is that people had elevated certain spiritual gifts over other, not just gifts, but over other people. So they were saying, if I have this gift or if I have this gift, then I'm somehow more spiritual. I'm more mature. I'm, I, I'm really the spiritual ones. Uh, and if you don't have this gift, then you're not spiritual. So they divided the church up into all these broken categories, the, the regular Christians and then the really spiritual Christians, right? And, and, and Paul blows this whole idea up and he says, hey, what makes a person spiritual is not the fact that you pray in tongues. That was kind of the big emphasis in Corinth. It's not the fact that you pray in tongues or even that you have any spiritual gift. What makes a person truly spiritual is, do you remember what he said in chapter 12? It's the ability through the Holy Spirit to confess that Jesus is Lord. If you say Jesus is Lord, that's the only way that can happen is that God the Holy Spirit has made your dead heart come alive and now you go from hating God to loving God. You go from being far from God to then confessing Jesus is Lord and I wanna love him and I wanna follow him for the rest of my life. The only way you can do that is through the Holy Spirit. So in other words, there's not three or four or five classes of Christians. There's only two types of people in the world, those who are lost in sin and those who through the Spirit can confess now that they're alive that Jesus is Lord. You're truly spiritual if you have the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's been saying. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, in addition to that, I want you to pursue the gifts. And in fact, here's what Paul says in verse one of chapter 14. It's worth repeating again. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But then he uses this interesting line. He says, especially that you may prophesy. Paul wants every Christian to pursue love. He wants every Christian to earnestly desire, to be zealous about, to long for and pray for the ability to walk in spiritual gifts. But out of all of them, he says, especially prophecy. Now, why would he say that? That's really interesting. Well, here's what Paul's doing in chapters 14. Chapter 14, he's juxtaposing, he's holding up tongues with prophecy, and he's juxtaposing the two, and he's saying tongues is good, tongues is a gift, but in the gathered church, in a context, in a setting like what we're doing today right now, prophecy is to be preferred because of how beneficial it is, because of how many people get edified, because of how incredible that gift is in the life of the body of Christ. So notice what Paul's going to say. Again, reading in verse 1, let's read all the way through verse 5. Paul says, pursue love, And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, verse 2, he's giving his his logic, his reason why. He says, 
For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Last week, I preached a whole sermon on the gift of tongues. If that interests you, you can find that on our website. Verse 3, he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, which again is not a bad thing, it's a gift, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Never thought Paul would say something like that, but there there he said it, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Six questions very quickly that I want to ask and try to answer with you. Here's the first one. What is the gift of prophecy? Let's just start there. What is the gift of prophecy? And to start there is probably helpful to say what the gift of prophecy is not or what it's commonly misunderstood to be. The gift of prophecy is not powerful preaching. Depending on if you grew up in church and what context you grew up in, there were certain people, especially some of the Puritans and some of the Reformers in the 15th through you know, 17th century, that had this idea of prophecy that it was powerful preaching. The idea is like, man, there's preaching and then there's preaching. You know what I mean? And prophecy is like when the, the person is really preaching. It's like powerful, spirit-filled preaching. Well, well, that's not prophecy. Like, all that is is good preaching, right? And, and, and that's great, but that's not prophecy. Uh, in addition to that, prophecy is not an uncontrollable experience that forces itself upon you. Some people think of the gift of prophecy of like you, you, this ecstatic experience where you get hit by lightning almost, and the Holy Spirit fills you, and you're just like prophesying and you're uncontrollable. That, that, that's not what prophecy is, right? It's fully controllable. You can, uh, when God gives you something to say, you can choose to say that or you can choose to not say that. You can decide when to say that or you can decide to not say it at all. In addition to that, prophecy is not primarily predicting the future. Now, it can include that. I have heard prophetic words and read about from verified sources, prophetic words, where it really is like future prediction type stuff. But that's so rare and most of the time, not at all what's being envisioned with the gift of prophecy. And by the way, I'm really, really disinterested when people are like, I've prophesied, and then they say something that's totally unbiblical, like, God told me when he's going to come back. Uh, No, he didn't, because the Bible says that no one knows, right? So you're a dummy because he didn't tell that to you, and you're just making that up, you know? So I'm really nervous when people kind of define prophecy that way. That's not the way that Scripture defines it. So, So what is prophecy? If it's not primarily predicting the future, if it's not powerful preaching or this uncontrollable experience, what is it? Well, here's a good definition from, again, Dr. Sam Storms. He says, prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Uh, John Piper, in a little article called What is Prophecy Today, defines it like this. I take prophecy as something that God spontaneously brings to mind in the moment. Let me give you my own working definition. Prophecy is a revelation from God about someone else or about a specific event that otherwise would not be known. It's a gift that primarily brings about encouragement, consolation, the strengthening of faith, 
and a tangible sense of God's love and his nearness. That, that, that's my own working definition of what this gift is. So let me show you where I get that from in this chapter. First, I want you to think of prophecy primarily as a revelation from God. Think of prophecies primarily a revelation from God. It's interesting in chapter 14 that Paul uses the word prophecy and he uses the word revelation almost synonymously. They're interchangeable in many ways. Let me show you. Look at verse 26. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Here's another verse where he uses the word prophecy and revelation interchangeably. Look at verse 29. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the other way what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. You see what Paul's doing there. He's saying, you know, you can all prophesy, but if, a, if someone else sitting there gets a revelation from God, then, then they can prophesy. So he's using this word prophecy as a synonymous term with revelation. Now, unlike the gift of tongues, prophecy is not us speaking to God, but it's God speaking to us. Remember we talked about last time, last week, how tongues are us praying or praising God in a language that we don't understand. Well, prophecy is different because it's not us communicating to God. It's actually God in mysterious ways revealing things to us and communicating to us that we then communicate to other people around us. Let let me show you. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 2 and 3. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. So the direction is God to us, to people, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And here's what I've noticed, and Paul's going to say this, and I'll read it to you in just a second. What I've noticed is when prophetic words from God are actually communicated to other people, and they're accurate and they're right, what's phenomenal about those experiences is that it brings with it a profound sense of nearness of God's presence and encouragement and edification, and a sense of the love of God. That story I told you just a minute ago about the woman wearing a yellow shirt, in that moment, she felt seen by God, didn't she? She felt edified. She felt like God knows my story, knows my situation. He's not just far out there, but he's communicating in real time to me right here. Notice what Paul says in verse 23. He says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Yes, they will. They'll be like, this church is cuckoo. I'm going to find another church or never go back to church. Verse 24, he says this though. He says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, what happens? He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is why it matters. Because you can come in and be an atheist, and yet God might decide to speak to you and have the secrets of your heart disclosed. And you're going, well, I didn't believe in God, but God just told this person a level of detail about my life that they otherwise should not have known, and now I've got to grapple with that. God might be real, and he might be speaking to me. So how does this work? How does prophecy work? Question number two. Well, 
it has three elements. Prophecy has three elements. The first one is the revelation, a revelation from God. The second is the interpretation of that revelation. And the third is the application. So, so think of it this way. First, you have the revelation. God, uh, often through dreams or visions or internal impressions or what feels like a random thought that hits your brain that you're like, I don't know why I just had that thought. And maybe it's actually not your thought, but God revealing something to you, God depositing something literally like in your brain that otherwise you would not have known or whatever, like an, an internal sense that God might be, or maybe it's like a, a, a picture, not like a physical picture, but like in your mind's eye, you're seeing this picture or whatever. There's all these ways, but through a revelation, God speaks to you. That's the first part of prophecy. The second part is the interpretation of that. You're trying to make sense of that. Like, imagine being that man who saw the picture of this, you know, woman wearing a yellow shirt, and then how did that happen? Well, somehow God revealed something to him, and then he's trying to make sense of it. Like, I, I don't really know what this means, but I, th I think God wanted me to tell you that you're wearing a yellow shirt. Does that mean anything to you? Stuff like that. And then finally, there's the application of that uh, revelation. It's like, I think this is what God is inviting you into, or I think this is the sense, or I, I want to pray this over your life. So this is how it works. Imagine again that guy, he was praying, and he sees this woman wearing a yellow shirt, and I don't know if it was like, I, I don't know him personally, so I, don't, I, I didn't get to ask him, was that like a vision that he had? Was that like, uh, did he have a dream the night before about this woman wearing a yellow shirt? Did, did he just have a sense that God might want to speak to this woman and he just said what he felt like God? Did he have this random thought that it is? I don't know how that happened, but some revelation happened to this guy and he communicates it, he interprets it and applies it to her life and she's dramatically encouraged by it. That's how prophecy functions. And that leads to the third question that we really need to wrestle with, maybe a, a very important question for many of you. Well, can prophecy contain error then? If it's from God communicating to us that we even communicate to other people, can prophecy contain error? And my answer to that question would be, yeah, it actually can contain error. And this is perhaps the most controversial aspect of prophetic words. I've, I've had multiple people over the years say things like, well, Andrew, I, I don't believe in this gift of the prophetic because if the, the Old Testament says if somebody gives a prophetic word and it's wrong or it's off, then it's not from God. And actually, Deuteronomy 18 says that person should be put to death. So we should be killing people in church. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, hold on. I, that's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. In Deuteronomy 18, that's, that's actually not the context of what's being said there about this New Testament gift of prophecy. So how do we understand this? Can a revelation from God contain error? No, it can't. When God reveals something to us, it's God revealing. And God can't lie. God can't speak untruths or half-truths. There's nothing false about what God is revealing. The issue is not in God speaking. The issue, as it always is, is what? It's, it's us. It's our ability to interpret what God might be saying and then, therefore, apply what God might be saying. John Piper again says this. He says, because we are fallible in the way that we perceive it and in the way that we think about it and the way that we speak it, it does not carry the same level of infallible scripture level authority. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. I wish I had more time. I wish I had a whole sermon to talk about Deuteronomy 18, but literally no one would appreciate that in our room. Uh, but I, I don't have the time. Let me just give you some brief reasons why I think 
this New Testament gift of prophecy can contain error. The first and biggest thing is just to grapple with the difference between Old Testament prophets and this New Testament gift of prophecy. They're just not the same thing. Old Testament prophets are primarily used by God to communicate divine truth to his people, to call his people to repentance and to give them commands to live by. So think of Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah. They're saying, thus says the Lord God. This is what you should do. This is God speaking. Uh, He's inviting you back to repentance. Here's the the commands that are, are authoritatively placed over your life. And furthermore, these prophets that we see in the Old Testament were given a very, very high degree of authority and their prophecies were even written down and included as scripture, the infallible word of God, the authoritative word of God. Many of their prophecies started out with that line, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. These are the very words of God to the people of Israel. If you disobey them, you're not just disobeying Moses or Jeremiah or Isaiah, you're disobeying God. God is using them as his authoritative mouthpiece for the people of Israel. Now, that's very different than the New Testament gift of prophecy. In the New Testament, the people that are referred to as prophets don't seem to possess the same type of authority that the Old Testament prophets possessed. And if you're like, the New Testament talks about prophets? Oh, yes, all the time. There's one mentioned in Acts called Agabus. There's another guy, Simon the Evangelist. I'm sorry, Philip the Evangelist. Philip had four daughters, and it says that Philip's four daughters were prophetesses. Some of you are like, what? Prophetesses in the Bible? Yes, prophetesses in your Bible. Don't take my word for it. Read your Bible. It's there. So these prophets or prophetesses, they're not given the same level of authority that we see Old Testament prophets functioning. In fact, the people that are given that type of authority are who? They're apostles, the apostles who are communicating on behalf of God, setting doctrine and foundational work for the church. And furthermore, the prophecies that we see functioning in the New Testament were not treated as the infallible words of God, completely pure and without any sort of error. Let me just show you a few quick examples. The first one, I don't have time to get into the, the actual text, but read it on your own time. Agabus's prophecy in Acts 21, 8 through 15. Just in your own time, write that down, Acts 21, 8 through 15. Read that story, and then read the rest of chapter 21. And what you're gonna find is that Agabus gave the apostle Paul a prophetic word, and he was right in what he said that Paul was gonna be arrested. That's the gist of his prophetic word. Paul's gonna be arrested. But all the details about what he said would happen and who was going to arrest Paul and then hand Paul over to this other group of people, Agabus is totally wrong on all the specific details. So he's right that Paul was going to get arrested, wrong in how that actually occurred. And the theologian D.A. Carson in his book, Showing the Spirit, says this, I can think of no reported Old Testament prophet whose prophecies are so wrong on the details. So in other words, this is not like you know, revelation that's 100% without error, even Agabus's prophecy that we see in the New Testament had some error mixed in it, right? Uh, In addition to that, we're commanded to not despise prophetic words. Now think about this. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but what? Test everything and hold fast to what is good. 
Now, why, think about this. Why would Paul have to tell Christians to not despise prophetic words? Why? Here's why. Because they're often easy to despise. They're easy to despise. Imagine being in that room when that guy said, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you you're wearing a yellow shirt, and she's wearing a yellow shirt. You're like, oh, you dummy, that's so stupid. This is, right, you're instantly, your, your knee-jerk reaction, if, if you're me and you're wired like I am in the room, is to just be suspect and to despise prophecies. How many times, and don't raise your hand, how many times have you heard someone give a prophetic word and you're like, that feels so weird or that feels so vague or that picture feels so stupid or this is so obscure or whatever the case may be. The, the knee-jerk reaction of many of us in the room is to despise prophecies because of the way they often feel so weird. And that's Paul saying, hey, don't despise them, right? Don't despise them. And then he says this interesting line. He says, but test them. How do we test them? You test what we think God might be revealing to us with what he has already authoritatively revealed in Scripture, right? What do I do if there's a contradiction between what I think God revealed to me and what he said here? This wins every time. I'm wrong if it says something different than what God has already revealed, right? So we test prophecy with the authoritative revealed word of God. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine Paul saying, all right, when Moses stands up and he says, thus says the Lord, and he gives the Ten Commandments, just test it. No, that'd be crazy. It's the word of God. It's authoritative. Can you imagine Moses or Paul saying that about Isaiah or Jeremiah? Hey, don't despise them. Just test way. You get the ultimate say over what's authoritative and what's... No, you can't imagine it because Paul knew that the way this gift would work in the New Testament is that it would contain error when it comes to how we interpret and how we apply. And then the last final thing on this note is Paul says that we prophesy in part. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And he goes on to talk about how we see in a mirror dimly, but when Jesus returns, we'll see face to face. So the way prophecy works today in the New Testament is sort of like, yeah, we, we prophesy in part. Like we hear God reveal things, but then it gets mixed in with my own error and my own interpretation and application. And so that's where uh, mistakes and error can come into play. Now, all of this begs the really important question, if you're hanging with me, of can, can something that contains error and can be so subjective and can often be wrong or only 50% right, can something so subjective be beneficial to anybody? Like, wh- why is this gift amazing? Why is this gift beneficial if it's so subjective and can be totally wrong? Well, I'm going to I'm going to answer that question by giving you a contrast between what I'm doing today and the New Testament gift of prophecy. Every Sunday, one of our pastors, usually me, sorry about that, stands up, opens up the Bible, and we preach from it. We're teaching from it. Now, is this the revealed authoritative word of God? Maybe you're hearing you're not a Christian, you're like, debatable, or I don't think so, or whatever. Let's get coffee. Let's talk about that. But if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, is this the revealed authoritative word of God? Yes or no? Yes, it is. This is God speaking to us, and we actually have it without error right here. As we understand it in its original manuscripts with the right understanding of what the author intended to say, this is the revealed authoritative word of God to you and I. 
Now, how many times, and don't raise your hand because it'll make me feel bad, how many times have you been here on a Sunday and you've heard something I've said and you're like, I disagree with that joker. I think he's wrong. I think that he misunderstands that passage. I think that his interpretation is wrong. I think his application is wrong, right? Probably more times than I would like to know about. I would imagine that not everybody in the room thinks I'm awesome and everything I say is 100% great and accurate all of the time. Maybe you think I'm more right than wrong. Maybe you think I'm 80% right. It doesn't matter. And there are even times where I'm like, I think I was wrong when I said that, you know? And now, now I've like, so is teaching bad because it can be subjective and it can be sometimes off and it can be, no, no one would throw out teaching and go, we don't need that anymore. Let's just get together and sing some songs and take communion and go home. No, this is an important, beneficial, helpful way that God shapes our lives. How many times have you heard a sermon that you're like, I'll never forget that moment where God spoke to me through that sermon and, and it moved my heart. That's, that's what this gift of teaching is. We have the revealed authoritative word of God, but where does error get mixed in? In my interpretation and in my application of the revealed word of God. The gift of prophecy works the exact same way, doesn't it? Where God speaks to me or you something that's important, that's right, that's accurate, but then often the way I hear that is foggy or not right or sort of right or maybe mainly right, but has a few things in it where maybe I thought God was saying this, but he was actually saying that, or I emphasized this when he wanted this other thing emphasized or whatever, but it's still beneficial. It's still a gift. And furthermore, the New Testament, you have the Apostle Paul saying it's good for the church because it builds up the church. It edifies the church. It consoles the church and even allows moments where the secrets of people's heart are revealed and they declare God is really among you. This is a gift. And that leads to the fifth question, who can prophesy? Who can prophesy? Well, I would want to say it this way. Every single Christian is a potential candidate for this gift. That doesn't mean that every Christian will prophesy or every Christian has the gift of prophecy. I don't think that's true. But every single Christian is a potential candidate for this gift. In fact, this is one of the most inclusive gifts that God gives. If in your mind you think that the New Testament gift of prophecy is given to like one or two or three out of every hundred people who are followers of Jesus, I want to blow that paradigm up and say it's probably a majority of Christians that have the ability to walk in this gift. Let me tell you a few reasons why I think that. Through the gospel, Christians now get to hear the voice of their father. Friends, the whole storyline of Scripture is that God longs to commune with humanity, that he made us for communion in the Garden of Eden, but then Adam and Eve, they sinned, they rejected God, they rebelled and got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And when that happened, it's like they went deaf to the voice of God. It's like they went dead to God's presence. And they're, they're out of garden, they're out of uh, God's presence, they're kicked out, their, their ears no longer hear his voice. And yet God in his great mercy, what did he do? He came for us in the person of Jesus. He sought us. He found us. He died on a cross to pay for our sins, to experience the wrath of God in our place. He rose again from the dead 
so that his resurrection life can be gifted to you and I. Now those of us who were dead in sin through the Holy Spirit were made alive to God. And what does that mean? We're now brought back into right relationship with God. Do you know why God forgave your sins? So that you could commune with him, so that you could hear his voice, so that he could speak to you and relate to you as a son or a daughter. He doesn't care about forgiving your sins so that you feel better about yourself on Monday morning and feel more therapeutically okay. He forgave your sins because he wanted to be in a relationship with you. And he's adopted you into his family. You now can cry out, Abba, Father. And here's the crazy thing. Abba, Father can now speak to you and you can hear it. That's a gift. Through the gospel, we're made sons and daughters and we can hear the voice of our father. In addition to that, prophecy is a primary marker of life with the spirit in the last days. I want you to notice something the apostle Peter says on Acts 2. Pentecost, the day where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And uh, Peter, rather, is quoting from Joel chapter 2, a prophecy about the last days. And Peter stands up and he says, hey, those last days that Joel talks about, well, they're here now. And here's how we know it. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, what's going to happen as a result of the Holy Spirit getting poured out? Your son's and your daughters shall prophesy, which very few people did in the Old Testament. And your young men and your, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Suffice it to say that all Christians are commanded to earnestly desire this gift and all Christians are potential candidates to receive this gift and walk in this gift. And some people, some people in the church are so highly gifted in this, they regularly receive prophetic words that are accurate and detailed and speak those prophetic words in the life of the church that the New Testament would refer to those people as prophets or prophetesses. Now, you may not be a prophet or prophetess, but if you're a follower of Jesus, this could be a way that God wants to, to move in and through you. And that leads to the sixth and final thing. I desire this gift. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I want to invite you to listen. Create space to listen to the voice of God. Learn to ask questions like this. Lord, what are you saying in this moment? God is always speaking, it seems. The problem is not the fact that he's not speaking. The problem is usually that we're not paying attention. We're not listening. We're not aware. So learning to become more aware and just listen. Lord, what are you saying? Jesus, what do you want to say to this person? How many times are you praying for someone and you just pause and go, is there something that you would like me to tell this person? Is there something that you want to let this person know about? This revelation could be a number of things. It could be a mental picture or a vision. It could be a scripture, a word or a phrase, dreams, strong emotions or senses. It could be a song. It could be a physical manifestation. Sometimes people will be like, man, my shoulder or my elbow, like my arm is hurting. I don't know why. Uh, randomly, it just hurts. And they're like, oh, maybe God wants to heal a shoulder in the room or an elbow in the room. And sure enough, you know, we'll offer that and we'll pray and somebody will come up with a hurt shoulder or elbow and we'll pray over them and God will heal that. You know, it could be like that. For me, it's never this way. It's never like, come in, Andrew, come in. I have a message. I have a message, Andrew. Are you receiving? It's never, ever like that. It's like, I'll have these thoughts that hit my brain and I'm like, why am I thinking that? That's super random. That's super weird or I... I, I I don't know why I would even think that. And I've had to learn over time how to discern the difference between my own brain 
and the voice of God, right? So learn to just listen. Don't be afraid of silence. If you're saying, God, what do you want to say to this person? Or what are you saying in this moment? And you don't hear anything or nothing comes to mind or there's no revelation given, that's okay. You don't need to fabricate something. Uh, don't, don't be afraid of silence. If silence is, is what happens, that's okay. The second thing I would say is learn to speak what God reveals. You have to be okay with actually stepping out and actually speaking what you think might be God speaking or revealing something to you for someone else. John Wimber uh, was famous for saying that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. And it's really challenging, I think, to walk in this gift without being willing to risk, without being willing to look weird or get it wrong, right? Here's some helpful etiquette as you speak prophetic words over other people. Remember, Paul wants everything we do to be done in love, to be done in maturity, and to be done in good order. So to that end, some basic guidelines. Don't ever say, thus saith the Lord. By the way, God does not speak in uh, Old English. I don't know if you knew that. Um, that's not like, you know, a lot of times, in, you know, it's like, hey, bro, it's 2023. God's not like stuck on Old English still. Um, he speaks to you in very normal human ways that you understand. So don't walk up to someone and thus saith the Lord, right? You're weird and that feels weird. Don't do that. Uh, don't criticize or coerce or publicly confront someone over their sin. Sometimes God will reveal someone else's sin to you. This has happened to me from time to time. I think often uh, pastors are given the gift of like, like literally having people's sin. Like oh, you'll just have a thought of like that person struggles with this or that. It's never helpful to just like, you know, publicly say that. Or pu- Sometimes God is revealing other people's sin to you just to pray for them just to be aware so that you can be a good brother or a good sister and love them and care for them. Avoid prophesying about marriages and babies, right? Don't say like, I think God's gonna let you get married and it's this person. Please don't do that. Even if God is doing that, just like find another way to pray about that for that person. Uh, Don't ever do that with babies. Like if you're, you know, praying for someone who wants to get pregnant and you're asking God to speak and then you sense like, I think God's gonna give them a baby. Just carry that in your heart. Don't say that to him, right? Um, I think that's not a good risk to take. Uh, Don't feel the pressure to provide an interpretation and application. Sometimes it's like, hey, here's what I think God's saying, and I'll just leave it at that. I don't know if that means anything to you. Uh, Be careful about prophesying about public or political or natural disasters. Uh, We all have heard about stories on the news of like, God told me that you're gonna be the president. She's like, no, you heard wrong. God did not say that, and you're a dum-dum, right? And so sorry about that. Like, don't do that. Don't, you know, that's not a helpful uh, use of this gift. And don't ever prophesy to establish doctrine or rules for Christian living. Like, well, God has spoken to me on behalf of, he doesn't want people to fill in the blank. And what you said he doesn't want people to do is not mentioned in scripture. Don't do that, right? Let scripture be the guideline for what is right and what is wrong for Christian living. Not a prophetic word, right? Kevin DeYoung wrote a great book called just do something because of that trend among certain people to go, well, I don't know if I should go right or left. Let me pause and pray until God speaks to me. Or I don't know if I should, you know, it's like, just do something. If it's not sinful, if it's not wrong, if, it, if you're getting wise counsel from other people, if you're just do something, right? That's a helpful book to read as we think about this gift. In addition to that, I would say weigh prophetic words. When someone gives a prophetic word or if you give a prophetic word, it's really good to ask that person, hey, does that mean anything to you? Does that mean anything to you? Um, Does this resonate with your situation? If not, it's okay. 
no big deal. Try again next time. Maybe you receive a prophetic word. What I would say is, remember, Paul says, test it. And if there's something that does resonate or something that is accurate to both the authority of Scripture and resonates with your story, then, man, I think that's God speaking to you. Hold fast to what is good, right? And then finally, pray. I think anytime you give somebody a prophetic word, it's good to just pray over them. Hey, uh, I pray that you would move and work in these ways over this person, right? And, and, and then there's always the question of like, well, what if I get it wrong? What if I get it wrong? Um, I, last Sunday night, we were having a, a moment of worship and prayer, and I felt like God gave me a prophetic word. I walked up to a guy, and, and, I, and I said it, and then I said, does that mean anything to you? And he goes, not really, <laughs> no. And I was like, fair enough, all right. Could I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I prayed for him, and I was probably like, 20% of what I said was helpful and 80% was completely flatly wrong. And I was like, I'm, I'm not prophetic, I'm pathetic. That's what it is, you know. Um, but, but it's okay to risk, it's okay to get it wrong. Like, you're gonna get it wrong from time to time. I would way rather you in your mind go, I'd rather get it wrong and try than not try and miss out on the opportunity of blessing someone with God speaking to them, amen? Like, can we take that risk? Hey, can I just tell you as a church culture, we will always applaud courage and risk here. We will always celebrate it when you try to hear from God. And if a mistake is made, a mistake is made. Guess what? It's a mistake. No one's gonna die. It'll be okay, right? So let's be a church that risks. Now, I'm running out of time. In fact, I'm out of time. But I, I wanna give you like one or two stories of how this gift can be powerful just to kind of whet your appetite. Uh, there's a story of a, a non-Christian. I was not there for this, but a guy named Mike Pilavachi was running a student camp over in the UK. And while he was running this camp, he had this prophetic word of this boy named David. And he had these very specific details about this boy named David, uh, that David was not a Christian. He was at this camp. He got dragged there by his friends, and the whole time camp was going on, David is making fun of the camp. In fact, Mike Pilavachi was preaching the night before, and in this prophetic word that he got for this boy David, uh, he said, David, you're here, and even last night when I was preaching, you were leaning over to your buddy, and you were cracking jokes about my sermon, and you were making fun of it, and you were writing, here's what you said. You know, it was like, you said this line, and you said this line, and you said this line, and you did this, and and your name is David, and God wants you to know that he sees you, and you're actually not here by accident. You're actually here because he wanted you to be here. He loves you, and he's been pursuing you in your life in these different ways. Uh, David, are you in the room? Are you here? And everyone looks around. Everyone's like on edge, you know, and this boy David just tears in his eyes, white as a ghost, comes walking up, and he goes, hey, did you say to your friend last night, this line, this line, this line? He's like, yeah. You know, did you do this? And are you currently like needing God to move in your life? Yeah, that's me. And, 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 and long story short, this young boy named David becomes a Christian at that camp. And the line that he kept telling his friends afterward was this line about God. He knows my name. He knows my name. He knows my name. He kept saying that. That God actually cares about little kids at a camp, and he knows their name. Amen? There's so many stories. I've got like seven or eight here that I don't have time to share, but suffice it to say that when God moves in these ways, it is powerful. Hey, would you stand with me? You know, the most amazing way that God has ever spoken to us 
And there's a lot of beautiful ways. He's spoken to us through his word. He speaks to us through nature, says that the heavens declare the glory of God. He speaks to us with this gift of prophecy. It's amazing, it's powerful, it's rich. But the most amazing way that God has ever spoken to us is mentioned in Hebrews chapter one. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for his sins, for, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Friends, God did not stand far away. God did not send another prophet or another a philosopher or a book, God sent his own son for you and I. And he sent his son so that his body would be broken, his blood would be shed so that you and I could be made new and adopted into the family and have God as our father. So friends, in light of that, if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to come and receive this, this, this gift of the bread and the cup, God's love for you, his presence with you today as you go. Get in groups, celebrate this, and then we're gonna send you out with a blessing from scripture. You're invited to come and receive if you're a follower of Jesus.